you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude, one of those books you probably never turn to. Or if you do, you don't stay long because it is such a difficult read. But it's one of those mornings that I have from time to time. I could not sleep. I was troubled. I really couldn't put my finger on what it was. But about 3 o'clock in the morning, I finally just decided to get out of bed. I went and got my uh, iPad, opened my Bible, and started reading. And for whatever reason, the Lord took me to the books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. And those are not uh, really (laughs) your favorite portions of Scripture that you like to read, although... They have some great things to say. Um, they're just, uh, they're, they're not what I would have thought. But I, I perhaps uh, failed to realize that God knew my feelings and I think he was trying to help me. And so Jude, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation and I'm, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's only one long, so it's not, a lengthy read, but it is heavy. Uh, and when you read it, there's just something about it. When you walk away from it, you almost feel like you're reading current news and events. And uh, so it reads like this, Reve- uh, uh, not Revelation, Jude. My, my iPad's already jumped ship on me here, so let me. Jude 1, verse Number one, it said, this letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I'm saying this because some Ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. And then he goes into a lengthy uh, uh, explanation of what had happened in the past. And then he concludes with a wonderful, uh, wonderful bit of scripture. Verse 17, but you, my dear friends, must remember What the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. 
Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life in this way. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in the love of God. Everybody said amen. Say it for somebody that's not here. Amen. All right. Thank you. You can be seated. I really don't know what you want to title this tonight. Perhaps the musings of a concerned pastor. You know, there are times that your spirit is stirred and you cannot put your finger on what it is. But there is that unsettled feeling. You know that there are things happening that you cannot name, identify. I'm not talking about in the church, but in the world around us. And it seems that the further we have gone into 2020, the more spirits that we have encountered uh, and the more spiritual issues that have arisen And so when I got up early the other mornings, my mind was troubled by many different thoughts and I really couldn't pinpoint any particular thing. But when I started reading uh, this portion of Scripture, and especially when I came to Jude, it began to awaken my spirit. When you first look at Jude, you wonder why. I mean, one chapter is all there is to it. So why would God put in this holy book that we cherish so dearly one chapter? And when you read what Paul or or what Jude said to this New Testament church and I, I read it again, Uh, He said, I I gave diligence to write unto you of the common salvation because it was needful for me to do that. The reason that Jude is in the Bible is because it is needful. It has purpose. He started to write about salvation and the joys of what salvation had produced and what they enjoyed, but the Spirit of God changed his mind. It moved him in a completely different direction, and he becomes a defender of this faith that had been delivered, and he is encouraging and admonishing them. Uh, if If we don't wake up and realize what's happening, he is saying, uh, then there will be no uh, church. There there will be no body to, to gather with. If we don't defend what we hold dear, then it won't matter anymore. And so he came to encourage the saints of God that they would declare war on apostasy. The interesting thing about the writings of Jude is that the enemies that he highlighted were not outside the church. They all were coming from within the church, within the body. These 
spirits and ideologies and thoughts and uh, beliefs began to rise that were uh, shaking and, and deteriorating the very foundation upon which they had been built. And so Jude reminds them of some very important things. And when you start reading Jude, it is an interesting read. It's not easy to read, but it it is interesting in the fact that it begins with a great word and it ends with a great word, but in the middle there is this heaviness. And when I say great word, I mean encouraging and challenging. And then in the middle there is this heaviness. And for the most part, when you read it, it's hard to understand uh, why he referenced these things. But then when you go back in time and you recall in Scripture the events that he alluded to, there was not just a, a something that happened 2,000 years before or 1,500 years before, but it was the Spirit that it manifested. And he said that same Spirit is beginning to show itself in God's church. It's beginning to rise up in our midst. And, and so he, he's, he tries to address these things. And uh, when you understand the background of his thought and you understand the challenges that he was feeling, you begin to get the, 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 the emotional intensity of his words. And he uses pictures and, and, and stories to paint a picture of what was creeping in. And it was written for the sole purpose of arousing the church and stirring the church uh, because there was an invasion against their belief and there was an invasion of thoughts and things that were creeping in. And he writes to meet this threat. And instead of writing a treatise on the faith, he is defending the faith. He is calling on us to stand up and fight for our faith. And uh, he, he starts talking about these things. They slipped in. Men had arisen whose conduct and thought were a threat to the church, but it happened so subtly they hadn't even recognized what was going on. These men, he, he said they had slipped in. They, they had just crept in. Uh, they, they didn't blatantly throw open the back doors. They just slid in to church. And they, they fellowshiped for a while. And they sang and worshiped for a while. And they didn't really say anything for a while. But then as time moved on, they began to integrate into the body of the church. And, and then they started throwing out these subtle suggestions. Well, maybe, maybe God's not the only thing that matters. And, and the reason that I use that is because he uses the word only twice in this short chapter and it was in reference to God and, and the ministry of what had come to mankind through uh, the salvation that had been given to us. And he said only uh, in reference to those. So he is, he is trying to make them understand that no matter what you're being told, 
There is no other way. There is no other salvation. There is no other plan. And so he, he speaks in these stark, sharp tones because he's addressing a critical issue. But these men had inserted themselves into the church and they had engaged in turning the grace of God into an excuse for their immorality and they even denied that he was the only true God or that uh, that he was Lord of, of their life. And so Jude has to remind them of the fate of Israel. Remember what happened to Israel. And when I started reading this the other day, I thought, you know, this is a great understanding and an explanation to once saved, always saved, because it makes it very clear that that, that, that is a false ideology. That's a false thought, that once you're saved, you're always saved. You'll never be lost, no matter what you do. Because here's what he said. He reminded them of the fate of Israel, that although they were called out miraculously from Egypt, and they were helped miraculously and they were safely brought to the brink of the promised land because of their unbelief. He turned them back into the wilderness and the Bible said he destroyed that generation. He would not permit them to enter into the promised land. So evidently, there's something more to just being once saved. I, I need to stay that way. Amen. Even the angels, this is even more powerful. The angels that had the glory of heaven as their own because they forsook their first estate, he said. They are now imprisoned and reserved for darkness and wait for judgment. Anyone who rebels against God must look for judgment is basically what Jude is telling them. And he talks about Sodom who had given themselves over to lust and unnatural desires and their destruction was dreadful and it was a warning to anyone who would go astray. There were those who had qualms uh, about speaking of or they had no qualms about speaking evil of dignities and leadership and authority, in particular authority. And so he talks about the, the, the contention between Michael and the devil, the, uh, between those two forces uh, about the body of Moses and even Michael who understood his place as an angel refused to speak against the authority even that was represented uh, in, in Satan. But he said, the Lord doth rebuke you. And what Jude was saying is that there is an attitude that rises up among us that doesn't understand the value of authority in your life. And so people begin to undermine it or they begin to question or they just flat out reject it. They respect uh, uh, they, they, the, the lack of respect of spiritual authority had been completely lost and they didn't mind speaking against anybody or anything. They perverted grace. They denied God. They were like brute beasts, the Bible said. 
that were governed by their instincts. And then he talks about three, Cain, the cynical, selfish murderer who was concerned with himself. He talked about Balaam, whose desire was blinded by his own want for more. And he blinded himself even to what he knew. And Korah, who rebelled against the legitimate authority of Moses, she was swallowed up by the earth. They are like hidden rocks, he said, which ships flounder on. And they develop cliques uh, in the church that follow uh, their thoughts and they influence them. They become influencers. That's a new word that has surfaced in our culture, uh, especially about Facebook. We, we have influencers. They are people that constantly put their image and their ideas and their thoughts out on the internet and people begin to buy into it. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm looking at some of this and I'm thinking, how, how in the world did something like that become an influence? Something that's corrupt and vile and filthy and and you understand that it happens through this subtle process of identification. They find a way of identifying with something in my life. And then they, through that door uh, of identification, begin to make deeper inroads. They're like clouds that promise rain, but they're without water. They deceive with their promises. They're fruitless. They're rootless. They're free spirits that just kind of float around, do their own thing. Amen. Tell me that's not talking about uh, what we are living among. Like the foaming sea, they cast out their shameless deeds. Like disobedient stars that refuse to keep their appointed orbit They get tired of being where they're supposed to be. Read it. It's in Jude. Stars that refused. And he said, you're doomed to darkness. He did not take that lightly. They murmured against Moses. I have never seen a culture that's more discontented than our culture is right now. I mean, you could give everybody in America a million dollars right now and they would complain that it wasn't two. We live in a hate-filled culture. And I'm not, just stay with me, I'm not trying to depress you, I'm trying to get across the point so I can drive home the real point. But they were discontented with what God had placed in their life for their good. Amen. They were such lustful people for their own desires to be fulfilled. Their lust was their dictator. What they wanted had to be satisfied. Their speech was arrogant and proud and they were Flatterers for the sake of gain. Amen. The greatest threat to the church did not come from without. It came from within. Seductive, insinuating, clever things that just seep in gradually, slowly, slowly. 
subtly entering with innovations and ideas and philosophies. And they're, they're, they're like an outlaw that has been expelled from a country, but they have snuck around and they've crossed the border and they've come back into the country and they show back up in that atmosphere. All of this was undermining, breaking down what had been given to the church and they didn't value what they had been given. They found excuses for justifying the way they wanted to live and so Jude is riding against that context. He is riding against those spiritual forces that are working and manipulating their way around and trying to slip in among God's body of people and he sees the concern because he realizes as he's writing this that people are believing some of this. They're buying into some of this stuff. And I, I've been looking, I'm sure you have too, I've been listening to a lot of stuff over the last few months and I've never seen our country as crazy as it is right now. I've never seen our world as absurdly crazy as it is right now. It doesn't make sense to me. And I'm thinking, how in the world can it be that we are buying that line of garbage? And yet somehow there has been something that has identified with something in our world and it has opened the door and there has been that subtle movement. And it didn't happen overnight, but now here we are dealing with it. And so here's Jude writing from that same kind of context. He's surrounded by all of these spiritual forces, the rebellion against authority, the, the, the seeking of their own, the, the lifting up of their own desire, the perverting of grace, taking grace and using it as an excuse uh, to cover their sin and, 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 and say that it doesn't matter what you do, that grace covers everything and you can do whatever you want to do. You can curse. I, I've even heard that there are preachers that actually curse in the pulpit and they justify that by saying that grace covers all of that. And that's the world in which we live. And so Jude is writing, combating that he's trying to give his people something to stand on and a foundation that will help them in shaky times. And as a watchman on the wall, and I want to go back very carefully, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be lengthy, but I want to go back and I want to read those first uh, few words in, in, in that chapter. And I'm reading from the King James Version right now. But I want you to listen to how Jude introduces himself and what he speaks to them concerning. He said, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Very important. Three things that he mentioned. Sanctified, preserved, and called. Sanctified, preserved, and called. He reminds them that they have been called by God. The word that he is using there is a call to duty, a summons to 
uh, a responsibility. And he said, don't forget that you have a calling on your life, a calling to be holy, a calling to be sanctified, call to be saints. I read that again just recently and it, it was deeply impressed in my spirit the word that he uses there for uh, saint is the word that we get holy from. Called to be holy. We are called to be different. We are called to be separated. We are not living by the standards or values of the culture, but we have another set of values and a different standard by which we live. And Jude is calling the church. He said, you need not ever forget that. Don't let that slip away from you. Amen. Call to be a saint. Call to be different. Call to a different set of values. Call according to the purpose of God. God had a purpose in saving my soul. And some of us need to wake up and realize that we have a purpose to fulfill and a responsibility to God to do what he has called us to do. It's a heavenly calling, making a man uh, think in a different way. His order, his his thinking is ordered by an eternal perspective, a holy calling, a consecrated calling, a calling that covers every day of my life, not just Sunday and Wednesday, but every day alters my way of thinking. The calling of God on our lives is a privilege and we are to be kept in that calling. We're beloved in God and we're kept by God. We must not forget that. And so he says we must contend. Everybody say contend. We must contend for the faith. Fight with everything that is in you for this faith. Defense of the faith is vital in the hour in which we live. The word contend comes from the same word that we get the word agony from. The defense of our faith will be a costly affair. I am here to tell you that the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more it is going to cost you and I to serve him. Don't be afraid to pay that price. He said it was once and for all delivered. The faith that was once and for all, it's unchangeable. It's unalterable. It's a faith that we all share. It was delivered to us. We didn't think it up. We didn't make this up. This is not my ideology. It was entrusted to me. It was preserved through the years so that I could experience it and enjoy it. And I must not forget that. I must preserve it. I must defend it. We have been given something that is so precious that we must fight to preserve its purity and its quality. And so that means that I must take a stand against anything that tries to devalue it. Anything that tries to make it of less importance. Anything that tries to weasel its way in 
and say, well, is it really that important? Yes, it is that important. It needs to be what governs my life on a daily and hourly basis. I must fight against every spirit that seeks to dilute it, that seeks to change it or alter it to fit our cultural norms. Listen to me, church. I've said it before and I say it again. We can never be relevant to our world because our, 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 the, the word is not relevant. The word is life changing. That's what has to happen. And so when we try to make the word relevant in the way I, I, understand that and the way I interpret that is that we have to alter it to make it fit the the, the, no 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 we alter ourselves to fit the word we don't alter the word to fit us and we must never forget that and the closer we get to the coming of the Lord the more important that is going to be we must fight against anything that tries to compromise it to make it just another document, another word. No, it's not. It's the eternal, unchanging, ever-living word of God. It was written by men who were inspired. They were God-breathed. They wrote it as they were breathed upon by the Spirit. And we have it now You say, well, I I think there's some error in it. No, the error is in the way in which I read it. But if I'll just get on my knees and say, God, give me a better understanding of your word, that word will become clear and that understanding will become clear. Amen. It's important that we have something to hand down. This week's brother Brother Casey's passing has troubled me. Because men of his stature, and we have many others among us, when they're gone, who's taking their place? I mean, who's, who's stepping into that vacancy? We're talking about a man who for many, many years, his faithfulness is unparalleled. His dedication, a quiet unassuming man that nobody paid a lot of attention to but that's the backbone that's what makes the church strong that's what makes us powerful and vibrant is because we have people like that and I'm looking around and the crazy thing is I woke up the first of the month and this thought came through my mind oh God what would happen if some of our elders were to be taken from us all of a sudden what would we do And I started going down the line of different ones. Many of you sitting here, I'm thinking, what what happens if they're gone? Who's going to step in? Does it matter to this generation that we have to have something that we can pass on to the next generation? Does it matter that there will be anything left to give to your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren if the Lord tarries? It ought to. Amen. It ought to. That's why we need to fight for what we've got. 
That's why we need to defend. Don't let some culture that you live in dumb you down or make you think that you're just some uh, country bumpkin. Anybody that believes the Bible is just a simpleton. I, I've listened to the experts and I'm telling you, you're talking about babbling idiots. I've listened to some babbling idiots uh, and they're trying to tell me that I'm, I'll be country all day long because what I read is very clear and it's very simple and yet it's so profound. Amen. And so he closes this book after he talks to them about fighting for the faith. He closes this book by giving them some foundation uh, that, that if they will build on, will make it unshakable. He said, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, a foundation that cannot be shaken. Amen. This is not something that we made up. This is not something that's my personal opinion. It is a revelation that came from God. It has been preserved and transmitted through time. It should never become irrelevant to our life. Amen. Always under the care and guidance of the Holy Ghost. It's holy. It's holy. It's called the Holy Bible. It's different. It's different. And it will make a difference in my life if I will live it and I will embrace it. It's when I try to argue with it. It's when I try to debate it. It's when I try to dissect it and I try to unravel it and I try to make it irrelevant that it is not able to do anything in my life. But when I embrace it, I, I, I don't have to understand it to enjoy it. I, somebody said, well, I don't understand that. Well, look, folks, I don't understand electricity, but I enjoy it every day. I'm enjoying it right now. I don't understand a lot of things in life, but that doesn't stop me from embracing those things. I'm enjoying them. And even though I may not understand everything about God, when I embrace Him, what a difference it makes in my life. So it's not a philosophy. It's not an ideology. It is a life-changing word. Amen. And it has the power. It has the power to not only save us, but make us different. Amen. It is not only a mind changer, but a life changer. Amen. Anybody thankful for the word tonight? It has the power to make me holy. Amen. Reason some people struggle with holiness is because they haven't been in the word enough. Because when you get in the word, the word will direct you in that path. And then he said, you must be a person of prayer, praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you without any question, the only way we will survive in the culture in which we live is to make sure that there is an active prayer life going on in us daily and times of calling upon God and searching after Him. We need God right now more than we need anything else. And He is the only one that can make a difference in this thing that we're in right now. And prayer is simply the acknowledging that I need Him. I said it to Him today. God, I need You. I need direction from You. 
Somebody said, well, why do you keep praying that? Can't you just get, because every day I face new challenges. Every day I face new issues. Every day I face new pressures. And so every day I need him. Give me wisdom for the moment. Give me understanding for right now. Help me to know the right thing to do. Help me to know the right words to say. Here is where we test everything by the will of God. We can take it to prayer and God approves it. We can do it. Amen. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Uh, There's a whole lot of difference between praying and praying in the Holy Ghost. To me, praying in the Holy Ghost is a whole lot more than this, but the simple explanation is it's praying until you get out of yourself and quit praying about yourself and you start praying about deeper things, and you start moving into that realm of spiritual power. It's when you move from selfish prayer to an unselfish prayer that you move into a realm of power and relationship with God where God can do great things. And he said, keep yourself. Everybody say, keep yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. My relationship depends on me keeping his commandments. Amen. My relationship with God depends on me keeping his commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. So there is a coordination between obedience and blessing. Amen. And when I love him, then there will be a corresponding willingness to put myself under the authority of his word. And we must wait with expectation the coming of the Lord. The worst thing that can happen right now is for the church to become as hopeless as the world in which we now live is. Amen. Listen to the news. Listen to what they say. And in the tone of every newscaster, there is behind all of their words this frustration of not knowing what is really going to happen next. But the church has got to be a beacon of hope. There's got to be somebody somewhere in this world that still has a light shining amid the darkness and the despair because somebody is looking. Somebody is saying, Hey, can anybody help me in this darkness? And it's the time for the church to lift up our eyes and lift up our head and lift up our spirit and say, Hey, this is the end time. This is our greatest moment. This is our greatest hour because the Lord is coming. Amen. Let's stand together. Waiting with expectation, anticipation, living on tiptoe. Amen. That's what the Bible said of Zechariah. He waited. He waited. He waited. He waited. He waited. Waiting is a difficult thing to do because none of us are as patient as we need to be. Amen. None of us are as patient as we need to be. And so waiting, waiting is hard to do. He waited for the consolation of Israel. 
But I'm telling you that if you'll keep waiting, he didn't just sit down and idly pass the time. He was active. If you see what the scripture says, you understand that he was in a post of duty even though he was waiting. He was still coming to church, but he was waiting. He was still worshiping, but he was waiting. And it was in that atmosphere of waiting that the revelation that came to his life and he saw, he held the Christ child. And, and, and all of that came about because he waited with expectation. One translation literally indicates that he was on tiptoe looking, looking, wondering, is this the day Messiah will show up? Is this the day the Christ will come? I believe that's the way the church ought to live. We ought to live on tiptoe. We don't need to be tiptoeing around. We need to be living on tiptoe in expectation. I believe every time we come to church, we ought to expect something powerful to happen. We ought to expect the miraculous. We ought to expect the Holy Ghost. Listen to me tonight. Hear what, hear what I'm going to say. We make church too much about us. We need to get us out of the picture and come into this place ready to see God do things for other people. And when we, we come in with that expectation, it's amazing how many backsliders have shown up in our church over the last few months. It's, it's almost uncanny. I talked to a pastor today. He said, you wouldn't believe this, but in the last few months, four backsliders have come and they're sitting, they sit on our pews right now. Four or five of them, four of the five have already prayed back through. He said they're coming from, I, I don't know where all they're coming from. I said, we're seeing something along the same line. Why? Because people are living in a dark world and they're listening to the news and the news is dread and despair and death and, and worse. And, and, and somewhere there's got to be a voice that said, hey, I've got a word. I've got an answer. The gospel works. We're not diluting it. We're not watering it down. We're not changing it. We're not altering it to fit us. We're altering ourselves to fit it. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise God. Well, just take that home with you tonight. Go home and read Jude by yourself and maybe it'll stir you up too. Praise God. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Even though we don't understand what's happening around us at times, we know that you're here and we know that you're in our midst. I'm asking you to stir us. I ask you to stir me this week, Lord. I, and I, I'm sincere when I say that. Awaken us, God. This is our hour. This is our time. This is our moment. We must not squander it. We must not waste it. We must not be so absorbed in ourselves and our own little affairs that we miss this opportunity. You're coming, Lord. We know that. We're expecting that. But we're also expecting you to come into this place. We're expecting you to fill this sanctuary. Coming Sunday, 
We're expecting an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When we come through these doors Sunday morning, Lord, we believe you're going to be here. You're, you're going to have this place filled with your presence and, and you're going to touch somebody and you're going to heal somebody and you're going to help somebody. You're going to deliver somebody because that's who you are. And we are a people who believe you and we believe that you are able to do those things. I pray you'll keep us, Lord, tonight and that we will keep ourselves in our most holy, different, separated, consecrated faith. Amen. That we will keep ourselves in that faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for being here tonight. Clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise. Amen, amen, amen. You're free to go. God bless you.